and we're live with our 205th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. We're excited to be back at our regular scheduled programming after being gone for a couple of weeks due to travel and life and everything else. Um, but along those lines, we're excited that uh, next week we will be having our first, you know, I guess, get together happy hour at RSA sponsored by Dry Run Security. We'll talk about that here shortly. Um, this episode specifically, though, is sponsored by Redpoint Security, Code Security by Coders. Uh, if you need any sort of application security assessment done, code review, training, anything else, check out redpointsecurity.com for those needs. Um, uh, besides that, uh, Ken and I were at KernelCon, like I said, this last week, had a great session on secure code review. The code review signups for DEF CON. Um, should be up today or tomorrow, we've heard word. So if you are looking for a practical secure code review as an opportunity to take that course in a public setting again, we will be at DEF CON training. That's the, that's the two days after the conference. So Monday, Tuesday, after the conference wraps up on Sunday. And yeah, Ken, anything else? Any other places that we're, we're going to be over the next week I, outside of for the next couple of weeks outside of the happy hour next Monday? Yeah, so I'll be um, at RSA personally until about Wednesday morning. Frankly, I'm flying back, I, I, you know, a couple of days in, in SF and just got too much going on to stay there too long. But the net, but then after that, I think it's like I got a, a, I think it, I want to say it's like May 4th, like May the 4th would be with you that DevOps Days Austin is happening, like 4th and 5th. So I'll be in okay. Austin um, at DevOps days, if you're going to be there, or if you just like, you know, want to hang out, uh, get lunch or something. Um, yeah, hit me up. Um, I'll, I'm just going to be around kind of socializing with people at DevOps days, Austin and, and such. So Sweet. anyways, yeah, go in there it should be fun. Very busy. It's been very busy. Like there was, um, I traveled for a competition. Then we did, uh, then I had to get, uh, go down to Austin. Then we did Colonel Con last week, which I know we're going to talk about. But man, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Then we got RSA and then DevOps Days. It's just been a lot. But man, Colonel Con was awesome. Colonel yeah. Con was really cool. That was a good was, time. I got a... their shirt on. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah. Mine is somewhere. I got to find it again, right? Like that's <laughs> that's typically how it goes. Um, yeah, it was like we had a really good class. Um, as far as like teaching the course as well, I was really pleased with how it turned out, even the updates that we've made to the course, like how we're focused in on more kind of the open source projects. We've introduced a lot more of that into the exercises. Um, and I, like on one hand, it does make it a little bit more difficult for attendees, but on the flip side, it's so true to life that, yeah, it's a good teaching opportunity, right? Um, but we did have a lot of people from, you know, from the show that were there. Uh, we met Talos in per person, yeah. right? And that was funny, too, course. because he didn't announce himself. So I'm sitting there just, you know, we're going about our thing. And, uh, and I, you know, Talos is somebody I wanted to talk to. And uh, yeah, then you you said it. I think it was you. It was yeah. like, are you, are you Talos? I was like, oh, wait, you're, that's awesome. So it was cool to, to meet Will in person. And that was dope. That was fun. So. Yep. And yeah, everybody else, it, so. yeah it, it was it was a really good group. I mean, Adam, one of the organizers of KernelCon, came and attended the course as well. Um, I've been talking to him about getting him on the on the show because uh, he he works at an interesting place and has a lot of good you know good insights both from organize a conference but also from a corporate perspective does AppSec stuff too. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, there was a lot going on. KernelCon in and of itself is a good generalist conference, right? I, there were a few talks on code review and AppSec topics, but it does, um, you know, Dude, does there run were the more gamut. AppSec talks than I expected. I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. No, but that yeah. did surprise me. Yeah, no, yeah. But, exactly. <laughs> But that was, I mean, and that was one of the topics I wanted to bring up. It was in Slack a couple of weeks ago. And actually it was Talos that brought it up, right? Like they were at a meetup or something like that in, you know, in Madison. And, and somebody said that, oh, it looks like application security is on the decline, right? 
Um, and, and I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Like, I know I dropped into Slack and had my own opinions, but, um, and this was based on their like view. I don't know if it was in their organization or whatever it was, but that, Hey, it looked like we spent all this time talking about SQL injection, cross-site scripting. Now we have frameworks that handle that. So AppSec is in the decline. Um, I mean, if I say that though, what is your, like, what is your gut reaction to that, to that statement? Better get a new job, man. Better get a new job. Um, I, from what I gathered, because like I, you know, I was travel, I was busy, as traveling. Uh, kind of popped in, saw the Slack thread. I pretty much, and, and after everybody really commented. So for for me, it was kind of just reading what everybody said, and I realized like, yeah, th- th- we're all talking about different things when we talk about the term AppSec, uh, which seems to be a pretty common thread in our our Slack. Um, not just about that specific term, but it seems like. This is another meta thing I've extra- extrapolated from the conversations that we're just really shitty about like defining terms, right? So whether it's the actual term AppSec or whether it's, you know, defining terms like, um, oh, uh, pen testing, white box assessments. Uh, I even saw, this is the first time I've ever seen this. I think Eric, Eric I think it was Eric Kabatis, Kabatis that had said uh, glass box maybe, which I've never heard glass box before. Um, so, so, and then there were a couple other terms that I really hadn't, I'd heard, but like not really that, that were mentioned. And I just, these are, to, what I'm saying is I've been doing this and you've been doing this a long time. There's still terms being used out there that I, I don't even recognize. So I, I guess for me, anyways, it was just a lot of recognition that like, we don't have the best, uh, standards, definitions, um, all that. So what was, what was your take, Seth? Yeah, I, I mean, th- th- this was this was part of the problem, right? Like, you know, yes, like application security as we think about it from years ago, right? Like, is it has changed, right? The uh, <clears throat> the things that we look for, the the tasks that we perform. I mean, we you and I talk about this all the time on the when we're you know doing the code review training that we met you know, doing basically false positive analysis of, of a static analysis tool, right? And we just don't do those same sorts of activities. We don't look for the same vulnerabilities. Like some of them, yes, like overarching, but we don't look for the same things as we did 15 to 20 years ago. But that's as it should be, right? The, the industry has evolved. Application has, security has evolved. And, you know, it, it's a little short-sighted to say, yes, it's on the decline, um, because it's just changed, right? Like what we do on a daily basis. If anything, uh, we're more involved in the development process, like this whole idea of shifting left. And, you know, I, I know I probably, yeah, whatever, like we, we overuse that term as well. Um, but like it, 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 it's a little naive to think it's going away. It just, we've specialized so much into different areas that it's now a part of doing business and de- part of developing software where it wasn't 15 to 20 years ago. And so we just don't have the same problems that we did. I mean, it's kind of inherent, you know, cause you mentioned that, well, you mentioned a few things that I find interesting, but I think one of the things you, you kind of point out is that um, we're sort of, or you alluded to is that we're, we're sort of following the trends of, basically programmers of application developers of, of not just them, but like the ecosystems and the standards and all the stuff that they do. And, and naturally that kind of puts us always behind. And this is like more, I guess, philosophical. I really hadn't thought about this much until it's kind of come up lately, but we're, we're always behind. We're always going to be behind. We're not driving those standards. We're not saying, Oh, here's the new way of doing this thing. Or here's like, you know, React wasn't from us. We didn't build that, right? Like we didn't say like, oh, you're just going to have heavy client side JavaScript and it's not even, it's going to completely change the way that we uh, we do request. If we, if we had, we wouldn't have all these broken ass DAS tools, right? So <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the thing is we're always playing catch up to standards. We're not really a part of, we're not really driving the innovation in that space. We're not doing any of that. We're kind of just like, ambulance chasers in a way and trying to catch it's true (laughs) and trying to i don't know maybe it's so harsh and so critical it's it's not it's just the nature of our our jobs and so we're constantly trying i guess what i'm trying to say is we're constantly reactionary 
that's it. That's what, that's what it comes down to. Or we, and we innovate in our own spaces and all that, but all that stuff is always reactionary to what is being driven out of these new standards and these new tech stacks and frameworks and ideas and concepts and all that stuff that gets produced by the, uh, the general development community. I guess why I'm saying that is it means we're always at a disadvantage and it's very hard to get ahead of those things and be proactive and say, well, or even influence some of those things. All that to say, it's like, because that we're not influencing all of that stuff, I can't say that it's going to be dead because there's always going to be issues. There's always going to be problems when, when, and even if they're, I mean, I, I don't know, the, let's say theoretically you did have security people building the standards, creating the frameworks, do whatever, whatever it might be like to, to shape uh, innovation. Um, I still think that we're, we're going to miss, you know, we're, we're still going to have room for like issues that get introduced and all that. So the security problems will always be there. I just don't know like how we're, how we're go how fixing those problems is going away in any, have you seen anything? Let me ask you this set. Have you seen anything, anything at all that points to, oh, yeah, security vulnerabilities aren't going to be a thing in, in, in software? No, <laughs> no. It, so it, then it's I mean, safe to it surmise. Gets, it gets more, to, yeah, it's safe to survive. It's not necessarily on the no decline. death to our industry. Exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. So, so, but I, I you know, anyways, uh, yeah. It, it I, yeah, does have I, me thinking a lot lately, though, about like, yeah, maybe the existential or philosophical parts of of our industry, and like you know, the good, the good, the bad, mostly the bad and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, th there's a lot of that that goes on, right? And, and I, I mean, if you if you step back a little bit, think about information security or the security community in general, right? Um, like it used to be that there was a lot of infosec, like network security people that became generalists, right? That did AppSec and NetSec and pen testing and run ran compliance and did X, Y, and Z, right? Like, and that's no longer possible because of the way that the world had, like the industry has just shattered into all of these different special, you know, special specialties. And AppSec is doing the same thing. AppSec is like, there's, there's too much for any one person to actually include, right? Like, especially when we start talking about product security, um, actually writing secure code and how that has evolved in the last, you know, five years, like we've, we've come miles or like so far in actually developing that secure code, but it's partially because we've started to separate that out, that activity. Um, and I remember having that discussion, I mean, with Neil, Matatal years ago when he left Fishnet, right? That he wanted to build secure software and all we were was an application security practice that was looking for in, for security vulnerabilities um, in code and in running applications. And he wanted to focus on this other bit. And at the time I was like, wow, that's pretty innovative, but no one else was doing that. Like we weren't having that discussion from an engineering perspective over to security. It just didn't exist and now it does. And that, that's what I'm saying is that we're shed, we've we've split up the industries or we've split up AppSec into all of these different you know silos that still talk to each other, but we've got you know bug bounty that's coming in, managing a bug bounty program that can be a full time position. We got product security, building actual security pro, uh, into a product. We've got security tooling that we're building into the CI/CD pipeline to discover vulnerabilities faster, like sooner in the life cycle. And then we've got new technologies that are popping up, like go become an expert in Web3 and actually finding vulnerabilities in smart contracts. It's just, it's impossible to say that it's it's on the decline. Yes, there's portions that are, right? We don't spend as much time talking about or finding SQL injection because it just doesn't matter anymore in the same context. And I would argue as well, like cross-site scripting. Yeah, like it's hard to get excited about cross-site scripting anymore because we know you know, what the attacks look like. We know how to solve it. And now it's just like fuzzing until we find bypasses in Google or whatever it is to actually get a payout. So that's where it's, it's fallen to bug bounty people. So yeah, I'll get, I'll get off my soapbox now. Right. No, but I, along, just, I don't know. Yeah. Along those lines, right. The, the next article that I wanted to talk about that came up again in the Slack channel is the death of code reviews, right? Or the fact that like, oh, manual code reviews should go away. Ken and I teach a course about, you know, security code reviews. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'd love it if it go away. That'd be great. And that means there's yeah. no uh, there's no need for security stuff, and everything's just working well. And that'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Just um, I'll move on to just engineering or something, or maybe just get out of tech altogether. I, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, what's your take on that article too? Because uh, I am curious. Like, <laughs> what? Well, how, how, first of all, how did, how did you read the article? How did that come across to you? And then, you know, what are your, yeah, general thoughts on the, the sort of statement? Um, do you recall Yeah, so my RFA? initial, <laughs> I, I do re, re, recall RFI. It was super fun in PHP back in the day, right? Like there were so many okay. ways to actually like run remote code and pull it into your app and, and do bad things. But was that when um, you had to have like globals, like, there's like a dot ini file or something that you I yep php.ini yeah. global registered globals had you know you wanted yeah. to turn that off right because otherwise it could lead to rfi it would made it a lot easier to do so um, geef. <laughs> sorry this is what happens when i read slack while <laughs> yeah. uh, that's awesome um yeah so as far as like the, your question about that article I mean, when it popped yeah. up, my initial reaction was, ah, what, what, what is going on here, right? Like, you know, this is a valid way to find vulnerabilities. Um, and I, I you know, it, it, it's kind of inflammatory on purpose so that we'll talk about it so that other people will actually think about what they do in a code review. If you read, if you go read the article in and of itself, it's not as inflammatory, right? It's more, hey, guess what? You should get the code running and actually run, like use it as a, you know, I call it open box. And again, this goes back to the terms that we were talking about that we don't like, you know, we don't have standard terms for talking about the activities that we perform in the industry. But, you know, an open box and hybrid review that we do where I have code, but I have a running instance and I'm, you know, contrast and comparing the two using the code to inform my testing, using my testing to inform my code review in order to focus on very specific security topics and security failures. It doesn't feel like he's saying that should go away, but what he's saying should go away is this idea that, hey, you know, uh, you know, because Apache is open source, there's not gonna be vulnerabilities in it because someone's gone in and done a manual code review of that. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily the case, right? Um, and I did, I mean, I did post a little, you know, a, a little portion of that, like the cost that goes into it. He talks about leveraging SEMGRAP and developing signatures for known bad code. But that means that someone has to actually look at the code and manually review it to figure out what the patterns are to put into SEMGRAP, right? Uh, like, and, and so that's actually, where my argument goes back, Actually, right? it's once they get a submission or... So someone's reported the vulnerability, then you go look at the pattern for like the root cause, then you write the signatures to see if you can find it anywhere else and also to make sure it doesn't regress kind of thing. But yes, so my point there being, yeah, it's after you've already, something bad has already happened kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. Well, and that's this other article that I had up um, called Harnessing the Hive Mind. This is all about using SEMGRIP and um, Nuclei to write you know, tests of what you, what you know is known bad, right? Um, to actually identify that in your code and, you know, building out your own kind of tool set for identifying vulnerabilities that have been a problem in the past. That's a great thing. And we should definitely do that. But it all starts from the code and actually doing some sort of a manual code review or bug bounty findings or testing, right? Like there has to be that impetus up front. Um, and this is, man, like we're all over the place today. And, you know, I apologize if you're listening, right? But this this also feeds into my thoughts on ChatGPT and AI recently that, you know, we train it based on, um, and this was a discussion we had at KernelCon. I can't remember who we were talking to about this, Ken. Yeah, um, we, well, I think we talked to more than one person about this, though. So, yeah. It, yeah it's hard. And it might have been, it might have been Talos, actually. And, and, and you know. Uh, the other guy from include. Um, yeah. But um, Nick. Yeah. Nick. Nick. Yes. I, right. I, you know, so, but this idea that um, chat GPT is trained based on code and questions and like, um, right. Like, like you look at, you know, where it, it draws from to actually generate code like copilot, right. Somebody has to go build that code initially in order for it to pick that up and generate AI on top of that. 
The problem is now that the AI exists and generates that, um, like Stack Overflow question responses, is anyone actually going to manually go in and start typing answers, right? Provide ChatGPT with the source to be trained on um, because there's been a couple of people that are like, yeah, I no longer like submit to Stack Overflow and I was like a top 5% submitter there last year because I just go ask ChatGPT. ChatGPT has replaced what I actually do. So where is it going to be trained for the next generation? Um, where are those expertise going to come from? I, I, yeah, it, like there, there's all these questions that go along with that. And I don't have a good source for that. I'd like to actually find, you know, that article or whatever it is. If somebody in Slack knows, um, feel free to drop it in there. Anyway, yeah, I'm all over the board with that. Like, no, my I, rant for the last actually, 20 minutes. I'm trying answer. to actually organize my thoughts because you just kicked off a whole set of streams of thoughts here. So one, one uh, man, where to go? So. Let's go back to where's the value of manual code review over uh, automation. So we talk about, you know, if, for those that were in the course, you you heard us talk about this um, this last week. Uh, e e there, there's patterns, and this is like you know, not to get in the weeds on what SemGrip does, but it's um, building an AST tree. Tree. It's using your rules, converting that into regex, and and essentially looking for patterns that match. It's pattern matching, um, and it's good pattern matching. And there are times and certain vulnerabilities where pattern matching analysis is perfectly great and fine and awesome. And um, that's where I think automation is awesome and that you need automation is for, for patterns that are easily, not even easily, but can basically something that is a pattern that you can, you can uh, look for. Great. But here's the issue. Here's the issue of where that we all know it won't catch the, the really subtle things it won't catch the the bits where it's like well actually in this part of the code this thing's doing this and in this other part of the code it's doing that and when you combine that with this other third thing okay now we've got a bypass or whatever we've got some logic flaw whatever right it doesn't do well with that because it's just not you there's some insights you have to draw that we haven't figured out yet on on how to do like with machine learning and all of that right okay so the question becomes there or to, to just really briefly lay that out, you've got automation for patterns and you've got humans for this, for like the contextual bits. And this is where it gets into context. And you're going to hear me keep saying this because I think and I've been seeing it in Slack and our absolute 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 Slack and context is king. Right. That's how we figure out where where anything is going to go wrong. That's that's how we it, it, totally understand an application enough so that we can do our, our proper uh, security analysis. Now, you mentioned GPT. So what I could see is a world in which to gather context and understand composition, uh, machine learning in tandem with AI bits are used to find the signal inside of the, no the, the noise kind of thing, right? To say, here's where you should put your effort. And for these reasons, as a manual human or non-automated uh, reviewer entity. And then for everything else, I would assume that with, again, machine learning and AI and pattern matching, that like the automation pieces just get better. Um, so I think we're, we, we might live in a world where there are enough, enough data points to say, listen, human being, you need to go do this something. And that's important because really what this, 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 and this draws back to the article's composition and what, what he's saying there. If I were to summarize it, it is, we have a lot of automation, a lot of automation that's really good, um, but code's flying out the door so fast, it makes it uh, not really feasible to do manual code reviews on all of that stuff that's going out the door. And I agree. And I think that's where you need to figure out, like, when is it time, when is it, with all this code that's being slung, what code do I need to actually uh, be involved in in some way, whether that's looking at it, whether that's, uh, you know, giving some advice, um, whatever the case may be, whatever security activity it might be. Uh, but yeah, human being being involved. So yeah, I don't know, man, I just said a lot of stuff. So it might be nonsense. No, I, I mean, but, my, no, it's yeah. not right. Like it, and this goes back to what we kind of, we talk about prioritization, right. And we talk about, 
determining what a risk profile is, what the threat is for an application for your organization, right? Like one of my first experiences with doing like just application security and pen testing in general, um, as I was building out a pen test team at, you know, the bank years and years ago was this, you know, the compliance requirement that all applications be tested on an annual basis, right? That was it. Um, they didn't have any sort of test framework in place, but everything had to be tested. Uh, but I remember like being so annoyed that I was sent to California to go sit at an office somewhere to test an application. And when I sat down, it was a JavaScript mortgage calculator. And I was supposed to spend five days in an office traveling away from my family to review a freaking JavaScript mortgage calculator. And I'm like, there is no risk here, right? Like, at most, there's a slight reputational risk. And it's not even for like the main like bank. It was just like some division. And I, I, yeah, like we started to have these threat discussions at that point because, I, you know, I was like, you just wasted how much money and time of an expert going to do this on something that didn't matter when we have all these other problems. We have everything else that's there. And, you know, to, to Sean's point in the blog and to your point, right, like we've got to focus in on what's important. And, and I don't think from a, from a secure code review perspective that, you know, we've ever said, hey, we need to look at every single line of code. If anything, we're trying to give you a framework to look at what's important and move on because that's, that's what we struggle with is, hey, I need to actually like think about, I think I need to think about this code from a security perspective and like the lines of code that are in it that actually have a problem. Yes, that means I'm going to miss some, you know, uh, like, especially if you're looking at Apache or some of these like huge projects, you may miss something in one line of code or like with log4j because it wasn't, you know, in your threat model for that app. And that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you are trying to classify what is actually, you know, what is important to you. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I mean, I guess those are, those are my initial thoughts there. Um, I am like AI has taken over every single aspect of, you know, everyone's life from a tech perspective lately, especially from an article's perspective. Um, and, and like, I'm sure we'll swing away from it eventually, but LLM breakouts, uh, you know, how it's going to be trained. Obviously we're having that discussion, you know, we're having a discussion of how it was trained, what it's actually used, how useful it is in certain situations. Can you use it to just like pen test an application, have it direct you what, what, what way to actually go, how to review the code of an application. And, and you know, this is something that we can get into and maybe post as well, but like I, I'm, I'm having a little bit of heartburn when I go to our NetSec or some of the other feeds and like every other article is chat GPT related, right? Like I'm like, yes, this is a great tool, but we're definitely like kind of overcompensating and trying to, trying to apply it to every niche in the field right now. But to, to but, I will say this, I will yes. say this. I don't blame anyone because to my point earlier, we are always behind and let's not be behind this time. Let's actually use this like cool technology to our benefit is all, all I'm saying. So, but I get what you're saying. There's a lot, there's a massive hype train. It is machine learning. I know Daniel Meisler was saying, um, cause he's been talking about it a lot. And he said that he's, he's going to spend some time digging into machine learning. There was a, um, there was a, a cactus con. I attended a workshop cause I actually, just was curious, like how machine learning kind of works and, and how to how to get started myself. Um, literally just pure curiosity. Um, and I anyways, I attended it. I forget who gave it. If I if I can during the if we have like a moment where I can look it up during the podcast, I'll, I'll post the link. And uh, otherwise, I'll just have to find it and post it to Slack. The reason I'm saying that is this person has uh, materials that are out there already that you can kind of follow along with um, to include like templates and things like that to, to just sort of easily get started with Python doing some machine learning. And I would say learn it because it's not, it's not, yes. Okay. I read an article that was super complex about how, uh, gosh, it's the, uh, the, the, why am I blanking on his name? The guy who like is all over the news talking about GPD, they uh, open, open AI CEO. Um, I can't remember his name right now. Um, put out an article about how they like went from how, how like the difference kind of like between chat GPT and what G, what made GPT four GPT four uh -huh. and how like interesting those, 
those uh, machine learning algorithms are. Um, but having said that, uh, I was like, man, definitely not a math expert right here. Um, so super cool. I totally understood it. It was dumbed down enough for people like me. Uh, I can get pretty, pretty far with some basic machine learning for sure. But like, yeah, there's certain levels that, you know, you're just, it's like, that's not me. That's not me. But I think there's yeah. some use to it is my, is my point. So, I, I mean, there definitely is. And I, you know, and you should get, and you should, and you get familiarized with, with yeah. how it works. Yeah. With how it works, right? Like it, in the basics, there's going to be more that pops up there. And I would ar also argue, right, if you're in the AppSec space, if you're any even tangential to like Web3 smart contracts, you should look at it because it's really interesting tech. But you've got to take it with a, you know, a grain of salt. And then you've also got to have some sort of expertise, like being able to define where it's good and where it's not, right? Like, and um, that's definitely what you see as you start to ask, you know, the AI different questions that, the articles, the content that it's trained on, you can tell is a couple years old. Some of the recommendations that come back out of it, um, some of them are completely wrong because, again, they are dumping Stack Overflow and it's not always the greatest answer that they give you. But on the flip side, right, like it can be useful to start the conversation and speed things up. And I think that's what we're starting to see. Like you generate these LLMs based on, you know, like Copilot, for example, right? Like if it can speed you up as a human to create more and better content, more and better code, um, then it's going to help that process of creating, you know, whatever application or doing whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. On the flip side of that, though, like we have to still make sure it's secure. We've got to do some sort of a code review. Um, but if Copilot is what's generating the code and we're asking Copilot or we're asking like the same AI if that's secure code, is it ever really going to say no, right? Like because that's what it's been trained on that this is a good example. Um, and so like it, it's almost like we need separate models for this that have been trained on you know, using different aspects, using different tokens. Um, as, as you get into machine learning, you'll realize pretty quickly like where those limits are and, you know, how the models are actually built. And it, it's really interesting stuff. You should you should go out and try it, right? Um, because it is where the world's going. So, anyway, yeah, did you 100%. find the, the, the article uh, there? I did not. No, sorry. Um, I was actually looking for the... Well, I was looking for Sam Altman's... Uh, and that's... Thank you, Davey Rogers, for, uh, for that. Uh, uh, give me the name. I was actually looking for that blog post... Uh, didn't find it. Also didn't find the machine learning one. I will find it though. Okay, I promise I'll figure it out, get it posted. Okay, so back to the original article though <laughs> about the uh, the manual the manual code review um, bits. Any other thoughts there as to like, um, you know, what we do and, 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 and the article, I guess, in, in general? Um, I, I mean, I, I do find myself agreeing with him on a lot of his points, right? Um, as far as like getting an app up and running, using code to inform testing. I mean, that, that's what tools do as well. They're trying to identify, you know, interesting portions of the application or where failures um, happen. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's almost like secure code review, the way that we do it, the way that we teach it is not necessarily a manual code review in the same sense that he is, has represented. Yeah, he mentions like, you know, hey, a significant vulnerability is missed in open source software. And then that being sort of um, um, almost tied to the fact that uh, that he's seen people miss things in code reviews. And I, and I don't think the two are the same. Uh, you know, one's a paid for thing that's like professionals. Uh, this is pretty much <laughs> There we go. Uh, what, what is a one is a, um, you know, it's kind of like open source uh I, okay man i'm gonna contradict myself because i'm certain at some point in the past i've said well more eyeballs equals you know a better outcome and that's for sure true but at the same time i don't know that i could i could classify again an open source project where there's no att attestation that you know um it went through x levels of software security uh efforts you know threat modeling and design discussions and um, pen testing or code reviews, whatever. It's kind of hard to write. You can't make that. All I'm saying is that's different from missing a code review in a like application that some corporation came to that paid you to, to, to review. 
it's a, it's a different thing. Now, I don't, yeah, I, I want to separate out those two. Now, it, will you miss things in a manual code review? Of course you'll miss things in a manual code review. If you think you're never, you're never going to have that happen, um, well, you're getting, you're in for a little bit of a letdown. It's a hundred percent going to happen. Uh, no human is perfect. Um, and that's really not the point. Uh, the way that we teach and you just kind of alluded to this, alluded to this Seth, is that we take a risk-based approach. So we, it's not just a risk based off of your tech stack because your tech stack is going to have its own very specific risks. Um, but it's also like, what is the, what is it that makes your application special? Like what, and what's, what's really scary about if someone were to do X, Y, Z, or, you know, what are, what are the, the, the more sensitive pieces of data that you're holding, right? We, we use a bunch of other data points to determine the actual risks that we care about looking for in your code base. And because of, because of that, we're focused on only the things that are super within that kind of threat model that the mini threat model will say, um, and, you know, meet, qualify to be within this list of risks that we care about. Having said that, does that mean in a 3 million line code base over the course of a two-week assessment that there's no room for missing things? Yeah, 100% there's room for missing things. That's like crazy to think there isn't. Um, there are other things you can do there, like better scoping for sure is one of them. But understand that if that is the case and this is what you've been tasked with, you do have to take a risk-based approach. And that means, like I said, you're going to be looking for specific things and not necessarily catching every single vulnerability that could potentially exist in that code base. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, three millions lines of code, three weeks. I mean, you and I have been in this situation. We'll continue to be in that situation moving forward. Um, yeah. A manual code review where you're looking at every single line of code is just not possible. And even in those open source projects, I mean, like, you know, I'd also, I'd probably also argue that especially in those open source projects where, you know, you've had code contributed for the last 30 plus years. Um, the way that we did things in C 30 years ago is different than the way things we're doing things in the latest versions of C plus plus nowadays. Right. Um, and how much of that actually gets fixed, how much time, how much effort people have to put in those open source projects, even when they're sponsored by a company, doesn't necessarily mean that that code is is getting touched. I, I mean, half the world is run by, you know, mainframes, you know, that the code was developed by a, IBM in the 60s. And yes, we've had updates. Yes, they've pushed new things through, but there st still are systems that depend on those old mainframes and you are probably using that on a daily basis. Um, and that, that doesn't discount any of the code that's been written in between now and then. Uh, so expecting their, expecting to find everything in a manual code review, expecting to find any, everything in a dynamic code review or a dynamic assessment, um, again, it's a naive position to take. Um, the organizations that expect you know, complete coverage from any assessment that they do are going to be burned at some point. Um, and that that's what we're seeing is like, we've, we've had to grow up as an industry and realize that people make mistakes. And just because somebody made a mistake doesn't mean that they're not, they're, they're not an expert in that field. It just means that, Hey, they missed it because of scope, because of timeline, because of something else that happened um, let's make sure that, you know, we learn the lesson and we move on from it, but uh, like, there's going to be mistakes made. There's going to be vulnerabilities in new code. There's new stuff that's coming up and the developers are, are going to create those vulnerabilities intentionally, unintentionally, however that actually happens, or because we're layering technology on upon technology and not understanding the communications between those, those vulnerabilities are going to exist. Edge cases will always be there. Fuzzings will always uncover stuff that we haven't seen before. New techniques for finding vulnerabilities are still going to pop up. I don't know where I'm going yeah. with this, Ken. You know, basically, yes, like security's not dead. Uh, you know, secure code review is not dead. Manual code review, um, like you should use it where it's appropriate, I guess is what I'm going to. Um, like. There's no reason to not have that quiver in or that arrow in your quiver, right? When you're trying to protect your application. Yeah, I don't, 
see it going away. And, you know, also I think there's another thing that we really, really didn't talk about, which is like, there's the compliance aspect too. You got to run your SAS tools, got to have your pen tests, your annual pen tests, which ideally is, I don't know. But, but, but Ken, what, what is a pen test? That's Let's exactly, see. exactly. By the way, I did, I did want to, before yeah. we get, hold on, before we get there, because this is something we need to address, these definitions. But uh, I did want to put in, um, well, somehow I put a hyphen in there. Um, but I put in the, the, the Twitter handle of the person that I was referring to who uh, taught, it's NetSec Explained uh, or GT, GT Klondike, Klondike, Gavin Klondike. Um, excuse me, geez, uh, this is very carbonated stuff. Anyways, uh, for, for Gavin, um, he, he gave like an all day workshop on, like I said, how to do machine learning for security analysts. And, um, the content is actually, I believe uh, the videos are, are, are on here of how to do some of that stuff, um, should have some, if not, you know, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Ex okay. Yes. There's, there's the part one, two, and three for, uh, machine learning for security analysts. So what's really neat about that, uh, good, just one example would be, we went through with Python, all this is in Python. Uh, we went through and did analysis of phishing emails and breaking, uh, down phishing emails and, and creating heuristics, um, that were, you know, data points for the machine learning aspects. Uh, so I, I think it's really cool. I think it's really practical and useful, but also it's just a really good primer on the underlying concept around machine learning. So anyways, if you want to get a good primer on it and follow along and he's got links to all the resources and all the stuff that you, you would need to get started, definitely recommend going there. Yep. Uh, but back to the terms. All right. Back to terms. How, how, how do you define terms? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm pretty sure the first talk that I gave, man, years ago, like about building an application security program has a slide that is directly related to this, right? Like the fact that we're bad as an industry at defining a term and then sticking with that definition as we, as we move forward. I mean, I, you and I love to complain about the fact that SCA, right? Just the, the acronym SCA that we're reusing, you know, it used to be static code analysis. Now it's software composition analysis, right? And the same vendors that used SCA, you know, 15 years ago are now using it in the in the opposite form or the other form now. And and then we equate like what mach a machine does from static analysis, like, you know, to what a human does. And it all kind of comes back to this idea that we're trying to short circuit and give people a, you know, a quick, um, quick understanding of what it is that we're proposing to do from a security perspective, right? Um, one of the things that I found useful as a consulting firm or as a consultant is actually defining out in an appendix what it is that we actually did, right? Because depending on if they're trying to compare our like, scope or what we did during an assessment with what they're getting out of a tool, they need to understand that like the security person or whoever it is that's responsible for compliance has to understand the difference and has to understand where we excel, what it is that we're actually trying to do. And also, you know, where we don't actually give you, provide you any coverage, but we have this problem, right? Cause we talk about a pen test and uh, like half the time I walk into like a, you know, somebody contacts us and says they want a pen test. I don't know exactly what it is that we're having to have a scoping call to talk through it because it can, it can range from anything from a, you know, a cloud assessment to a network pen test to red team activity where they want you to actually take over their domain controller to, uh, you know, Hey, we just have this code that we need looked at and, you know, we're going to run a dynamic assessment with it and we're like dynamic review of that application but we also may want that to flip into a full red team engagement using that, right? Like it's just this, uh, it's a mixed bag. And I mean, I, I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where we all understand exactly what it is uh, without having a wider discussion around the activities involved. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you, you want, you want me to put a bow on it? Okay. Is that what you're saying? No, I, I was just thinking about like, you know, because like other industries have some level of 
governance, right? Uh, well, I say other industries, but a lot of industries have, have governance. And then, um, then those governing bodies, I believe, are the ones who kind of typically tend to, along with, I'm sure, academia, um, codify things, you know, and figure out what term, what terminology to use. And like, we don't really, we don't really have a governing body. We've got compliance orgs um, for better or for worse, but there's not like a, there's no singular, like I don't go to the bar to be certified, right? I don't go to whatever the hell doctors go to to get, I feel so dumb right now. I don't know what the answer is there. The medicals, this, I uh, forget what it is. It's like association of something or other for, uh -huh. um, but you know, I mean, and we don't have that. So it's, it's kind of like um, we'd have to mutually as a community agree upon, upon those terms. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Gartner, I'm, I think Gartner should be, be allowed to define it. Right. No. Magic quadrants, magic yeah. quadrants for, you know, whatever term they come up with for, you know, software security, blah, blah, blah. Right. Did, you know, actually, since we're talking about governing bodies too, did you see that some people are like concerned that projects are going to leave OWASP? I don't know where I, did, I saw that. that. I've got that. I've, yeah. Yeah. There's an article actually, uh, again, was it Talos or someone else that dropped it in the, it's from security boulevard here let me drop it in there actually oh, i'm, I'm gonna i couldn't remember if it was twitter i think i because i think i saw it on twitter actually oh yeah okay there you go oh no no that's that is the that uh twitter thread is uh, about the the guy on um stack overflow that's basically giving up even though he like it used to answer all those questions so that's the one project exodus yeah. from oosp looming um yeah. Yes, that, and that they go into that open alert, letter, yeah. right? Like that we talked about. Um, yeah, it's likely um, basically just because the support of those projects may not necessarily be what they thought it was going to be. So they're starting to look for other sources uh, to support, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. I think is basically it. Huh. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw the it saw it kind of pop up, and I wasn't sure what that was. I didn't really go too obviously too in depth on on reading it. Um, I was kind of like, huh, and then I forget something like had to hit a meeting or something and lost yeah. track of it. But yeah, so that was the gist of it. Was just that like they try. Can you wrap that up again for me? Sorry, I'm like. Um, so I, yeah. So basically, it's because the the you know they're talking about the letters, the response from Andrew on right, like there's more to come. But basically, the vocal OWASP members that are running some of those larger projects are saying we don't get the support or funding that we need. This might not be enough. What Andrew that this is what he's proposing is it might not be a, enough. What the board has proposed. So you could see some of those large projects leave OWASP and actually find other sponsors that will support them, you know, financially, however it needs to happen in order for them to keep going. Um, and it, it's basically just he's he's or the author here is proposing that it it is one possible outcome of how OASP has restructured and what they're trying to accomplish is that they may lose some of those flagship projects because they're going to need more support than OASP can provide, which you couldn't blame anybody for taking off, right? Like, you know, when you start looking at some of those projects and the amount of money and time that goes into, you know, building that software to maintaining those lists to doing the research. Um, if the, if OASP can't provide the support, you know, whether it is structurally, financially, from an open source perspective, they've got to look for that somewhere else in order to, to maintain the project. By the way, I, I see that Brian, um, yeah, I see it now that Brian also posted in the Slack. Um, so attribution to Brian Glass, who who, who posted this in, in our Slack. But I had also seen it on a Twitter thread too. So um, for sure, I, I saw that and was like, what? Because the title kind of st stuck out to me and I was like, oh, is there something happening that I'm not aware of? Um, it makes sense. I mean, honestly, even last week when we were talking to people, um, 
I was a little disheartened to hear about what it's like trying to deal with the money aspect of, of running a chapter even with OWASP. Uh, I didn't realize it had gotten to that point where it was like, you could be giving OWASP a ton of money, but trying to get it back out, even just to pay, pay someone to come speak at your, your chapter is a real, real hard mess of a thing to do. Um, and you know, that didn't, I don't think that's always been the case. Um, I don't know what's going on with the loss, man. They're having a moment and it's, the press isn't like super great about all of it. Um, it's what yeah. we've got though. And uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know. To, that's a hard one to, you know, to the board's credit, right. They are trying to make tri- changes. They're mm-hmm. trying to evolve. They're trying to support as necessary, but I mean, yeah, like some of those discussions we have, right. The fact that the chairman of the board or the president, whatever is actually like involved with like approving expenses for individual chapters does not feel sustainable to me. Right. Like it's just a, where, where does this actually go and what, yeah, again, it becomes a question of what's, what's going on over there and how can we help fix it, change it? Like what, what sort of support does it necessarily need? Because the resource is obviously needed, right? Like the amount of time that we, you know, we talk about cheat sheets, we talk about OWASP top 10 and how that has a wider effect on the, you know, the AppSec and security community. Um, this, this organization in some form needs to exist and the resources that are available to it um, or from it because it is driving the wider discussion in, in the software secu- security space. Yeah. I mean, I like that people are recognizing that it needs improvements. The boards under, understands it needs it needs improvements. You know, I'm sure we'll have a roadmap soon if if uh, something isn't already out there for um, how to improve, right? Because uh, yeah, hasn't been any yeah. And and in terms of like starting up another community, I mean, like man, like I, listen, OWASP developers know OWASP. And that's yep. that. That was a hard it's, place it, to get. It, through. It, it's almost so, as popular as Absolute AppSec. Almost, almost as popular. Almost, yeah, yeah. Almost um, <laughs> with their global reach. Um, yeah. Right. So no, but you know, realistically, starting up another community is a bad idea. So you're gonna you're gonna end up having this the same issues at the end of the day. So um, and but then you've got all the bars to meet where like just even awareness, brand awareness is like a hard thing. So maybe less yep. so in today's viral world, actually. But uh, yeah, that's maybe a consideration. You know, today's social media and technology and boosting of marketing and all that but anyways it'd be a lot of work to, to reinvent the wheel essentially um yeah uh, you know the question is how, how do you improve it what, what are people most upset with it seems like yeah projects are a big one but i gotta ta- ta- tell you after talking to the chapter leaders last week wasn't didn't sound like it was a much of a much of a better thing for chapter leaders versus project leaders so yeah yeah. Well, and and that's just it, right? Like those sorts of organizations thrive on volunteer hours, volunteer time. And, you know, yes, you know, they have members join chapters, they pay dues. Um, but if it's not an easy experience, if the, if the leaders of those chapters don't see a value in it, then are they actually going to keep doing it? Or are they going to break off and, and do something else, right? Like, um same, you know, the same thing happens like with different B-sides events that, you know, they run as B-sides and they decide to transfer away because they don't like whatever the, you know, whatever it is that B-sides is put into place is kind of guardrails and they want to do something else with their conference, which is, you know, completely valid. But it would be sad to see like multiple chapters actually leave and um, without some sort of a, you know, a transition to whatever new organization it is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like we're ending this episode on kind of a downer here, right? <laughs> no, you, there's hope. There's hope. Uh, so to recap, though, uh, OWASP is dead. Uh, manual code reviews <laughs> code are dead. dead. Uh, AppSec, so we don't even know what that is, quiet. but that might be dead. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to go, go on. This Basically, was our nihilism everything we do episode. is a lie. <laughs> yeah. Yes, our last episode doesn't exist anymore. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it's not everything is terrible, but I think here, here's what I will say in a positive light. There is a lot of awareness right now that our industry, our bodies, our entities, uh, they, there's, there's lots of problems. Our tooling, 
all kinds of problems, right? Everybody has awareness that we're not, um, we're not there and we need massive improvement. And that's a positive thing. Um, ironically to build a community of people that are willing to devote their time to fixing it. You kind of need the governing body that we were just talking or not the governing body, but excuse me, the, uh, the, the OWASP community that we just talked about. Um, but anyways, I, I think that it's a positive thing ultimately, right? Like when you call out problems and you're invested in it and you're passionate about it and you want those things fixed and you want improvements um, and there's enough of you, you know, similar people with that mindset, only good things are going to come out, out of it. So actually, you know, while, while jokingly we talk about how like, you know, all this is kind of messed up and all that. In reality, I think it's just pointing out that we're about to reach probably the next evolution Yep. in our industry. And that's going to be, that is a very exciting thing to watch, especially as technology, um, the, the, the technology, technological foundations for addressing those issues and concerns and fixing things are in place now. So it's, it's a really cool time. I think actually, if anything, this is a great time to, to start getting into the industry, or if you're already in it, you're, you're going to see some good things. So I would say yeah. it's the opposite. It's pretty positive in general. Yep. Yeah. And, and that would be my recommendation to people. Like if they're getting in new to the industry is actually like, you know, find those niches. Um, right. <laughs> exactly what you and I have done with like the code review stuff. Right. It's like, when we popped in and started doing this years ago, there wasn't a process. There was like, you know, we learned it over time and then shared it with others, but that's just it. You kind of find the niche and the thing that's really interests you and the, the industry as in general is growing. You kind of become an expert in some of that, find the other people that are also interested in it and you build in, you know, a good community and a good career over time. So. You know, I got to say for me, building a career has been nothing more than just like, ooh, that's interesting. So mm -hmm. just following through <laughs> that with that thought and actually like building stuff and then publishing that stuff. And it's been enough to just like yeah. accidentally build a career or just through like, hey, I like this stuff yeah. and I'm going to. Yeah, you like I, it. Yeah. Don't be ashamed of it. And, you know, put it out there. People appreciate it. I don't talk about it too much, but honestly, like when I, I mean, I know I've mentioned it before, but when I started, like there wasn't even, when I started, there wasn't even an industry, nobody was paying to do any of this. I think if you just follow, it sounds so cliche, but I do, I will say, I think if you just follow the things that you're really interested in and you really care about, uh, it's going to naturally lead to uh, really positive things because you're invested in it. You're going to really enjoy doing it every day. You're going to get good at it. And, um, I don't know. I don't think you need a plan. I think you just need to like, if you're interested in something, just put the effort in. Even with like, it means at 2 a.m. you're banging your head against the wall. That's fine. That's great. That's necessary for growth. Do it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, sweet. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to, to jump into and rant about today? Uh, Not know, really. I, I think, I think I, it's been know, a, it's been good. I'm on hour three of, well, I was going to say I'm on hour three of uh, discussions and stuff. So I'm, it's time for me to write some code and be productive again. So Okay. Well, yeah, we'll get back to it. Um, join us again. Uh, actually, next week, you're going to be at RSA. I'm going to be flying mm -hmm. back. We might need to do, uh, you know, shift our schedule a little bit. Sure. Um, just watch the, you know, the YouTube channel or the Slack channel. And we'll post uh, when we decide that next episode's going to be. Um, if you are interested in coming on the podcast or you know of someone that you would like us to talk to, please reach out. Uh, and again, uh, this episode was sponsored by Redpoint Security. Um, Redpointsecurity.com, code security by coders. And... I do want to throw this out there, though. Yeah. Sorry, before we hop off. Okay. Because, because we're having that happy hour in our at rs or rsa adjacent whatever you want to call it um but in it's sponsored by dry run i'm the cto of dry it run is. right yep uh ceo is james james wicket uh in any case why i'm mentioning this is um we are uh not we don't have unlimited seats for that happy hour so if you're interested in attending, please just d dm me on uh absolute appsec slack or dm seth however you want to do it um, or hit me up on Twitter, DM via Twitter. If you're not on our Slack and don't want to be on our Slack, that's totally fair or fine for whatever reason. Um, 
but yeah, hit 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 me up uh, or hit Seth up, and we'll uh, we'll get you invited to it. Okay, that's that's yep. all I wanted to add. Yeah, that's that's right. We didn't we didn't include a link or anything to it. Um, if you would like to attend, contact one of us, and we'll get you a link and get you RSVP'd up for that. Sweet, sweet. All right. Well, uh, we will see everyone next week, either in person or online during the next episode. Appreciate all the feedback, comments, and the community. So thanks, everybody, for listening today.